Welcome to the Republican Professor. Today we have with us a non-special non-guest, Dr. Lucas J. Mather, me. I also have a diploma in Chinese Mandarin from the Defense Language Institute in uh, Monterey, California, the Presidio of Monterey. It's an army base. So you can call me DIP if you want for diploma. I also have a uh, an associate's degree, and so you could call me Dip Ass, I guess, is where I was going with that. We are talking about the definition of marriage again. This is the second part of a series. If you haven't watched the first part yet all the way through, I would uh, recommend that you do that. I would say I highly recommend that you do that, but I uh, sometimes when I say that, my kids... Uh, students think that I'm saying that I'm high and uh, because I'm in California, anytime they hear the word high, they just assume I'm reporting how I feel. I'm in uh, concise, sorry, Introduction to Logic by Irving Copey, the, the textbook I was mentioning last time. And I'm in his chapter six on fallacies. I wanted to spend just a little bit of time today giving a formal introduction to informal fallacies, uh, some resources for how it relates to the definition of marriage issue in American law and politics. By the way, great to see you. I can't see you, but what is a fallacy? A fallacy is a mistake in reasoning. You're trying to get from A to Z. You're trying to prove a point. You're trying to get to a conclusion. You 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 bring your evidence, and sometimes there's problems with that evidence that you bring. So a fallacy is a mistake in reasoning. <clears throat> now, what does this have to do with the definition of marriage issue in American law and politics? Well, because all of these legal materials, these judicial opinions, like we covered last time, we introduced that uh, issue, they all try to resolve whatever dispute is in front of them with an answer, with, with a conclusion, and support that with evidence. The, the, the court is doing that. The court takes a side. That's, that's the whole point of cases and controversies. So, like I said last time, that means that of the three branches of government, the courts are uniquely vulnerable to criticism because they feel like they have to supply the reasons for what they're doing. They, they feel like they have to justify why they took the side they did. And that means that that's a public, publicly accessible document. That's rich, rich and ripe for reflection. Did they get the right answer for the right reason? For example, you might think that, um, like a lot of pro-choicers, they that Roe versus Wade got the right answer, but for the wrong reasons. Because, like I said last time, Roe versus Wade was filled with horrible reasoning. <laughs> um, 
you know, uh, Brown versus Board is another example, which was nine to zero, but uh, it had the right answer, but it had the wrong reasons for it. If you read that opinion, it's got all sorts of problems with that opinion. And I'm not the first one to say it. I mean, it was 1955, Edmund Kahn, jurisprudence. Uh, I think it was NYU Law Journal. Check it out. Um, it's not just decisions that you don't like that have problems. Sometimes it's the decisions that have the result that you like that have problems. And um, I didn't like Roe versus Wade, just FYI. I didn't like the reasoning or the, I thought the reasoning sucked and the conclusion sucked. Uh, in Brown versus Board, I thought the reasoning sucked, but I thought the conclusion was the right the right answer. I, I'm not going to get into that, uh, but just giving you some examples here of of how um, logic applies to political science, how it applies to the separation of powers, and how it applies to the courts. Not only the uh, power of the court, but the authority of the court. Let's make a distinction between power and authority. Lawyers are trained as technicians for their JD of how to, and and in uh, in legal practice, they're that's really mainly where they're trained. Is uh, being apprenticed, they are trained how to pull the levers of power in the court system. But that's power. The authority of a judicial opinion really rides, I would say, entirely on the adequacy of the reasons it gives as it relates to the conclusion. In other words, if the conclusion they provide in a decision doesn't follow from the reasons they gave, that the, the court loses authority. The authority of the court isn't simply that these people are here pulling a paycheck and wearing that black robe and we just trust them. No, it's that they're linking up with eternal principles of right and wrong and uh, as, it, as it pertains to reasoning and logic and um, perhaps uh, practicable reasonableness. So what are some examples of some fallacies? Well, there's two types of fallacies. One's a formal fallacy, which has to do with a mistake in a formal, uh, like a deductive argument. It would it would have a it would be a defect in the form. It's got the wrong form. Uh, but informal fallacies typically attach to inductive arguments maybe abductive arguments. And I'm going to mention argument ad hominem, page 166 here. Argument ad hominem has a couple different types, abusive and circumstantial. Abusive and circumstantial. So 166 in Irving Copey's 10th edition. 
by the way, if you haven't ever taken logic, you want to take it, but it does matter who you take it with. I personally think I teach it pretty well. But there's other professors that are very good as well. The phrase ad hominem, I'm on page 166, translates into against the person. It names a fallacious attack in which the thrust is directed not at a conclusion, but at the person who asserts or defends it. This fallacy has two major forms because there are two major ways in which the attack can be personalized. Here's ad hominem abusive on the top of 167. Participants in strenuous argument sometimes disparage the character of their opponents, deny their intelligence or reasonableness, question their integrity, and so on. But the character of an individual is logically irrelevant to the truth or falsehood of what that person says, or to the correctness or incorrectness of that person's reasoning. To contend that proposals are bad or assertions false because they are proposed or asserted by radicals or extremists is a typical example of the fallacy ad hominem abusive. Abusive premises are irrelevant. They may nevertheless persuade by the psychological process of transference, where an attitude of disapproval toward a person can be evoked. The field of emotional disapproval may be extended so as to include disagreement with the assertions the person makes. Ad hominem abuse has very many variations. The opponent may be abused for being a certain persuasion, an isolationist or a, an interventionist, a member of the radical right or the loony left or the like. When an argument ad hominem abusive takes the form of attacking the source or the genesis of the opposing position, not relevant to its truth, of course, it may be called the genetic fallacy. Now, the issue here is that you're, you make an argument that a position is wrong solely because the person is XYZ bad thing, and you start calling them names. In other words, you don't you don't respond to the position fairly. And that's called our argument against the person. It's a fallacy because it's a mistake to think that uh, the character of the arguer on the other side is always relevant to the conclusion. Sometimes it might be, maybe, like in court, if you want to impeach a witness, and the credibility of the witness is what's at issue. And so and so you uh, point out that the, the witness is not tr trustworthy or truthful. That might be important in that case. But merely labeling a position as, like, for example, uh, um, an extreme position or... Uh, a religious position of some kind or or uh, some kind of phobia or something like that without responding to the the 
merits of their position, the 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 argument they gave, that's a problem. So that there's a introduction to ad hominem abusive. Um, let me give you another uh, example of a fallacy that's re relevant to our discussion. Begging the question, page 186, begging the question you're going to see in the legal materials that we get to is one of the fallacies that is important. To beg the question is to assume the truth of what one seeks to prove in the effort to prove it. Um, that would seem to be a silly mistake. I'm quoting from Irving Copey. But how silly or obvious the mistake is depends largely on the way in which the premises of the argument are formulated. Uh, this is a little bit tricky because um, sometimes the way arguments go, there's kind of a stalemate. And it might be that the uh, status quo has been around for a long time. And so the question becomes, what um, force do you give the status quo? What authority do you give it? And who has the benefit of the doubt? Who has the burden of proof? So for example, in the definition of marriage in, in the Goodrich case um, that we mentioned, um, let me just share my screen here. Get good rich up. In the in the good rich case, here it is. Those listening only, you can't see this, but recall the very first sentence from Chief Judge Marshall. And by the way, it is a woman, uh, Margaret Marshall. <laughs> Marriage is a vital social institution. That's the first sentence. I mean, when I see a, a sentence like that, I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Here we go. You're blowing smoke up my butt here. Uh, what is the definition of marriage? That's really the issue. You should be defining that right out of the gate. How are you using the term? By the way, she says it's got a meaning. In common law, it's got a meaning in the dictionaries. We saw several dictionaries last time uh, I uncovered probably six or seven or eight more that I can share with you later. The dictionaries are all on the same page. They all say the union between a man and a woman by which they become husband and wife, something to that effect. And I mean, I, I'm sure you remember that. I'm going to share my, my screen here. I, I'm still sharing it, I guess. I don't know if you can see this. Um, let me let me make sure you can see it just just in case you can't see it. Uh, I'm sharing my MacBook Pro definition. Um, we have a formal union between a man and a woman, typically recognized by law, by which they become husband and wife. I happen to really like the Black's Law Dictionary one that I shared last time. The 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 thick one. You recall this? Let me just get to it really quick because I think I have it bookmarked. If I didn't, then too bad on me. My, uh, me. 
A contract according to the form prescribed by law by which a man and a woman capable of entering into such a contract mutually engage with each other to live their whole lives together in a state of union which ought to exist between husband and wife. What I love about that definition is it, it evokes the natural law. It evokes the word ought. That's a legal dictionary. In other words, it's saying it's a normative definition. I mean, there, there, it implies normative conditions that people fall under, not just description, but normative. Okay. Well, when when you say marriage is a vital social institution, as as she did in Goodrich, Chief Judge Marshall, and then fast forward down, she says, eh, but it's arbitrary the way it's defined. Well, hold on a second. You just said it was vital. Now you're saying it's arbitrary. Which one is it? How could it be vital and arbitrary? She never answers that question. She never seems to understand that she just put that question before the entire public. How is this possible? That marriage is vital. Marriage defined like we just saw defined. That's how she's using the term. And now, are you telling me there's a different term? There's a different sense of marriage that you're, you're smuggling in here? Hmm. If so, you're begging the question because the question of what marriage is is exactly the point of the whole thing. That's begging the question. 186. Let me get back to Kopi. All right. So The, the problem is with begging the question is you're assuming what needs to be proved. If there's a new definition of marriage, brand new, how do we know that? Just because you want it to be the case? Aren't you begging the question? Aren't you assuming the very thing? Because that would be to take a side. That's what one side is saying is, yeah, there should be a new definition. Well, okay, but you can't just assume there is a new definition without proving it. The, the other side, the one saying marriage is uh, defined classically, historically and classically, that's that's already proven. That That's already the case. As of this moment, um, you know, my MacBook Pro that I just uh, read to you is from 10 years after this decision, and it's the Oxford English Dictionary. I've got the Oxford American Dictionary. I've got, you know, this is 2015. Oxford University Press has that definition. You're trying to change the way people talk. You're trying to change the definition by forcing them to talk differently. But that's begging the question about whether that really is the definition. Okay. There's an issue there. And I, 
The issue is that it's a circular argument. Marriage has a new definition. Well, how do you know that? Well, because you're a bad person and you hate me if if uh, you don't agree with me. Okay, that's that's <laughs> that's uh, ad hominem. Oh, okay. Well, then, well, it just, it just is. I can't can't definitions change. Well, okay, but that's begging the question because you you haven't supplied any reason for me to believe that's the case. All right. Let's move on. We can spend more time in this later, but I just this is just an introduction, okay? Equivocation, page 191. There's several of these. Usually there's 20 or so in each logic textbook. I have, oh my gosh, how many logic textbooks do I have? I have dozens. The the publishers would just send I'm teaching it for like 15 years. They would just send them to me. I've taught logic at Moorpark College. Loyola Marymount University was a course called Critical Thinking, but basically logic. Pepperdine University for over a long time. Um, I taught logic at Cal State Northridge, several types, formal logic, symbolic logic, reasoning in the sciences. Today's moral issues was one of my favorite things to teach at Cal State Northridge because we I would just bring logic to bear on these issues. Uh, I taught con law at uh, Cal State Fullerton. I've taught logic at Mount San Antonio College, Los Angeles Mission College, Los Angeles Pierce College, called Logic and Practice. Very cool. Very cool class for working adults. And uh, I'm leaving some out. I've taught it at Cal Lutheran University, California Lutheran. Um, I know I'm leaving some out. L.A. City College. Anyway, okay. Here we go. A long time. Been doing this a while. Where do we got? 190, not amphiboly. That's not what I want. I want composition. What did I say was equivocation. Okay, 191. Most words have more than one literal meaning. Oh my gosh, literally. I never use that word literally because it's its own antonym and you can never tell what it is. Sometimes literal means yes, really, and sometimes it means not really. He's literally having a heart attack. Okay, do I call the ambulance? Because I don't know what you mean by, uh, oh, yeah, okay, so you mean he is having a heart attack. Okay, so just get rid of the word literally, okay? I'm literally dying laughing. Okay, so you want me to call the ambulance? Oh, you mean you're not dying laughing. Okay, got it. See, it's a pointless word. Get rid of it. Most words have more than one meaning, and most of the time we have no difficulty in keeping those meanings apart by noting the context and using our good sense when reading and listening. Yet, when we confuse the several meanings of a word or phrase, accidentally or deliberately, we are using the word equivocally. If we do this in the context of an argument, we commit the fallacy of equivocation. This is huge. This is huge. When the, we confuse the several meanings of a word or phrase, accidentally or deliberately, we are using the word equivocally. Sometimes a spelling has multiple meanings. And I, I, the word unclear is a little bit unclear of a word. What I mean is spelling. 
For example, minute is spelled the same as minute. They're two different words. And I would say they're the same spelling. So I wouldn't say they're the same word. I would say they're two different words spelled the same way. I think something like that, I'm just going to tip my hand here because I want you to see where I'm going with this. Something like that is happening in the definition of marriage issue. And let me share with you the MacBook Pro from 2013, which I shared with you uh, just a minute ago. Look at the second definition there. A combination or mixture of two or more elements. A marriage of jazz, pop, blues, and gospel. Okay. A combination or mixture of two or more elements. There's a secondary definition. I would say it's the same spelling, but it's a different word. This is what makes it so confusing. This is what part of why it's a complex issue. Okay. What I think that Chief Judge Margaret Marshall is doing in Goodrich, for example, is I think what she's doing is she's equivocating on the word marriage in her opinion. Well, she's using the term in the first sense in her first sentence and you know she's saying she's puffing marriage up and she's saying it's a good thing and that's a key part of her argument it's a good thing and this good thing is being held back from other people and that's not fair well, if, if she didn't say that marriage was a good thing, you wouldn't think that that would be so. But when you say marriage is a good thing, what how are you using the term? You mean marriage as it exists at that time is a good thing. Right. That's what she has to be meaning. So she has to be meaning the first sense of that term there. She has to be meaning what I call marriage one. Sharing the wrong screen here. She has to be, uh, man, am I ever going to get this right? I apologize. She has to be meaning, I'm just going to get out of this one. A formal union of a man and a woman typically recognized. And she, that's the one from Black's Law Dictionary. That's, the, that's what she means by she says marriage is a vital social institution and how great it is. She's talking about that. But I think later she uses a term in a different sense. I think she means any close union, which if you get into some of these dictionaries, the secondary definition is any close union. And that that that's a, a secondary definition that goes way back. Here's the trick. In M2, marriage 2, any close union, that's always meant for non-humans. So for example, the example there, a marriage of jazz, pop, blues, and gospel, or if you're going to marry, like, um, you know, you're, you're doing electrical work and you marry one end of a, an electrical thing with another end, the male with the female, sometimes you call it that marrying them. Sometimes you call it, uh, you could say, I'm going to go ahead and marry 
peanut butter and jelly sandwich with, uh, you know, chicken salad sandwich and see what happens. I mean, you might, but it's always a non-human kind of way of looking at that or using that term. It's never used for uh, humans, any close union. Um, or unless you're joking, of course. Um, notice there's four things in that marriage example and in, in, in this in this 2013 example from the MacBook Pro. A combination or mixture of two or more elements, marriage of jazz, pop, blue, and gospel. Well, that's four things in that marriage. That's not a couple. That's four things. Notice the 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 noun is a union. Uh, a union, a, a, a combination. Any close union. I'm looking up, um, see if this one has a secondary definition of marriage here. Yeah. Any close union. So I, the union in the North had more than two states. I think that she's equivocating. And the, the examples they give in, in these logic textbooks, I would call like they're they're oftentimes Mickey Mouse examples, how I call them. They, you have to give really easy examples so that students can kind of latch onto it at the very beginning and see what's going on. So for example, you might say the sun is extremely bright. Whatever is extremely bright is extremely smart. See, I'm using the word bright in two different, it's the same spelling, should say I'm using the same spelling of bright in two different words. So that's what's tricky about it. But that's a Mickey Mouse example because you never hear people say that. So the, the sun extremely bright, whatever is extremely bright is extremely smart. Therefore, the sun is extremely smart. Now, that would be a Mickey Mouse textbook example of equivocation. But um, typically, it's a lot more sneaky in real life. And uh, the let, let me say a little bit before I go. I want to make this short tonight. Studying logic is it's a lifelong thing it's not a one and done thing i know it feels great to take the class and you're like yeah no i'm a black belt in logic that's not how it works this is just to acquaint you with some of the issues that really you, the problems that need solving and 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 uh strengthening your mind where it needs strengthening. I would look at it like going to 24 hour fitness. You don't just go and then you're done or, you know, exercise. I've been reading these things for a long time, trying to figure out how to teach this material. And, and uh, it's worthy of long periods of reflection. It's not, this is just the beginning, okay? I don't mean to stress you out. I know that you probably wanted to feel really great about yourself or so. I don't know, but I'm not trying to poo-poo that or anything like that, but these are issues 
that require a long time for you to have a mature understanding and appreciation of. So be careful when you're just walking out there. You don't want to like do, get in any kind of logic gunfights all of a sudden. You're like, yeah, equivocation. You know, I mean, because I, I I hear all the time. I'll just tell you a quick story, really quick. I was in a coffee place in Santa Monica. These are UCLA students sitting next to me doing some. You know, they're they're taking some logic. And you could just tell they were, they were wanting to like, they were on the hunt, they were fallacy hunting. And they identified a few things as fallacies, which were not really fallacies. So for example, someone was using an authority and the late, the other girl said, that's unqualified. That's, that's a fallacy of authority. You're appealing to authority. Well, appealing to authority is not a fallacy though so she had the information it was probably presented in the correct way and maybe she even did it right on the test maybe but somehow it didn't sink into her soul correctly and she she lost some kind of important qualifications um I hear this a lot with uh, another type of example called, well, how much do I want to really get into this? Um, you, you hear it when people say, it's not a perfect analogy or something like that. Like, but, but, excuse me, what is a perfect analogy? I mean, I, you know, I've never, uh, we have analogies because it's not perfect. That that's why we're using analogy. That's that's the whole point of having an analogy is because it's not perfect. So we're already in imperfection. I don't know why. I, I guess I'm just starting to bitch at this point because like uh, mo I'm moaning and groaning here because yes, I am the kind of guy where I order a, a coffee and they ask me if I want my receipt and I say yes, of course I want my receipt and they say okay, perfect and I say no, it's not perfect. This is not perfect. Sorry. It's imperfect. If you want to label the perfection status of this, you the correct answer is it's imperfect. That's the correct answer. And then they look at me like, who are you? And then I usually say, well, what do you mean by the question? You mean my name? You want to know my name? You want to know what I do for a living? Are those answers to the questions of who am I? I think deeply about these things and I try to invite you to think deeply about them too. That's all I got for today. We'll do part three coming up. See you later.